The title of this uh, podcast installment is Leaders and, I was going to have it say Leaders and Tragedy. That might be appropriate. Also, perhaps Leaders and Disasters. I don't mean to say that leaders are the only ones responsible. Um, as nations have their own karma as well. But, the following quotation, I thought I'd start with this. This comes from a little book called Who Started World War I? Um, by Harry Elmer Barnes, a revisionist historian, uh, who's written a lot about the um, about who started World War I, and he edited and wrote in a book called um, Perpetual War for Perpetual Peace about the origins of World War II, uh, among other writings. Quite voluminous writer. Anyway, this comes from page 37. He says, uh, No one could possibly be more aware than the present writer to concede the fact that a dangerous and menacing situation was created by the European system of 1914, but this system had existed for 40 years without any major war. It was unquestionably the specific personalities and policies of 1914 which produced the great cataclysm. This can be proved very definitely simply by reflecting as to what would have been the outcome of the crisis after the murder of the Archduke if Tisa had been in control of Austrian policy, Callot, Caillot in charge of matters in France, Kokovizov, foreign minister of Russia in the place of Sazanov, and Lord Morley or Earl Lorburn in the shoes of Sir Edward Grey in Great Britain. Under such circumstances, it is utterly inconceivable that war could have resulted. Indeed, it is highly probable that there, could have, that there would have been no war had there been merely an interchange of one man, namely, if Caillot, C-A-I-L-L-A-U-X, had been presiding over the destinies of France instead of the doughty Lorrainer Raymond Poincaré. And actually, much of the book uh, goes to show why he's reached that conclusion. So, um, I don't think it's a universal truth that uh, that um, rulers are entirely responsible. They are at least partly responsible. So, therefore, uh, I thought we might might look at two of the responsible so-called parties. Not sure really how responsible they are, but uh, and let's start with Joe Biden, and then we will go on to Vladimir Putin, with a few slight detours along the way. So starting with Joe Biden, noting that he, along with other people, kept pushing NATO eastward, or at least his rhetoric, he refused to. Uh, uh, I guess he saw it as submitting to Putin uh, that that NATO w would not annex, so to speak, um, the Ukraine. Uh, even though, back in uh, the 80s, 
President Bush had made an agreement. It was not a treaty, but it, as I understand it, but and therefore maybe one would say not legally binding, but uh, an agreement with Gorbachev that uh, NATO would not push even one inch eastward. Because, of course, Russia had been invaded from the West more times than I'm sure Russians care to count, most notably, perhaps, by Hitler in World War II and uh, Napoleon back around 1800, a little after 1800. So invasions from the West that had devastated the country. And here was NATO, a military alliance, pushing towards the West, annexing countries. Uh, so Putin's anxieties, it seems, had some historical reasoning behind them. And anyway, Joe Biden, although he did not annex uh, Ukraine into NATO, refused to say that it wouldn't happen. He refused to keep previous promises. By the way, any country that ever believes that the United States will abide by international treaties of any sort uh, should have his or her head examined. The United States has never done that. Not with the uh, Native Americans, not with the Vietnamese, not with anybody, really, that I can think of. Uh, so, um, and this is reflected by the United States, uh, Neptune in the Ninth House, Ninth House having to do with foreign places, Neptune having to do with deception. When that planet can mean uh, deceptions regarding foreign countries and deceptions in uh, treaty activities or any other activities with foreign countries. And since Neptune is closely square Mars, as I've discussed before, this often results in aggression, and it results in many cases in seeing the others as aggressors. Okay, so, but Joe Biden uh, has an interesting horoscope. Actually, he and Putin actually both have these loaded 12th houses. And the 12th house, among other things, symbolizes all sorts of insecurities and uncertainties, especially with the planets located therein. So Biden, with his 12th house Mars, insecurity about asserting himself. That Mars also squares Pluto, which indicates more of the same. We won't go too much into Joe Biden's psychology, though, uh, but let's just say that Joe Biden with the 12th house Mars will assert himself in all sorts of uh, what will appear to other people strange ways, as if to sort of prove himself. He's got a whole bunch of other stuff in the 12th house, too. So personal insecurities, uh, working with institutions, working in indirect ways, all that seems indicated by the chart. So... Putin, as we'll see, also has four planets. Four, uh, Joe Biden has four, and Putin has uh, four planets as well. Uh, Putin's are in Libra. Uh, so, Mars in the 12th can indicate passive-aggressive behavior and underhanded behavior, especially in Scorpio. Uh, I don't mean to insult the Scorpios out there, but uh, again, remember that when we're talking about Nations or world leaders, those people generally tend to manifest the worst possibilities of the astrological uh, symbols. Uh, world leaders usually not noted 
for their self-reflective tendencies, um, often carried along by collective events. So, yes, Joe Biden with his sun, with his Mars, with his Mercury, which rules his midheaven, all of those in the 12th, uncertainty, secretiveness. Uh, but, although Joe Biden did not himself annex any nations into NATO, he refused to, uh, it seemed, acknowledge that uh, Putin's uh, fears, anxieties, uh, were not crazy things. I mean, I'm not trying to defend Putin, and we'll see that there's all sorts of problems going on in his horoscope. But uh, just from the standpoint of international politics, uh, he had good reason to feel anxiety if history serves as any uh, teacher here. Uh, in terms of transits, it's worth noting that uh, transiting Mars is going to oppose Joe Biden's Pluto. It's going to square all of his Scorpio planets uh, as it moves steadily towards the bottom of his chart. Uh, so, uh, suggestion of uh, inappropriate uh, aggression. So, uh, the United States has not taken military action yet, at least, except covertly. You know, it's, it's been recognized, I think, in international affairs for a long time, that if you arm one side, you are involved. This is one of the issues back in World War One as well. You know, one of the reasons the Lusitania was sunk was that it was containing our, it contained armaments on the way to Great Britain. Uh, so again, the United States will play the innocent and will make, make it seem as if the other guys are the bad guys, and not that the other guys are good guys. You know, I'm not, I'm not, again, I don't wish to defend Putin since he's set in motion action which will result in thousands and thousands of deaths and thousands and thousands of refugees. So I don't wish to defend the man. But Joe Biden has not helped. Uh, furthermore, if we look at a solar arc movements, and by the way, I recommend looking at solar arc movements. They, they time things rather precisely often. Uh, Joe Biden's solar arc Mercury, which is his midheaven ruler, the midheaven has to do with his public uh, posturing, is going to square his Mars. It's 28 minutes of arc away. That means about half a degree, which in time means about half a year. So, first, angry rhetoric, but it could easily result in angry actions. And this, if you, the solar arcs, by the way, um, there's some others. Uh, solar arc Saturn uh, conjoins Vladimir Putin's Mars. So both, and the aspect there is 20 minutes of arc, about the same time, both of them about a half a year, a little less. Um, so, so both of them have solar arcs to their Mars. Uh, Putin also has uh, the solar arc Pluto is going to conjoin his ascendant 43 minutes of arc three quarters of a year uh, and it's going to quincunx his moon 27 minutes of arc a little less than six months uh, so the solar arcs don't look good because they involve Mars so many of them involve Mars right um, but 
Pluto, solar arc Pluto on Putin's ascendant, uh, certainly indicates that that he will act seeking more power. Right? And uh, if you, you always read a, a transit or progression back to the natal chart, and his natal Pluto is in, on his midheaven in his 10th house, therefore you would expect his presentation to be something public. In other words, he's not going to just insert, assert himself in terms of uh, writing poetry in the back room. He will do it as a leader as a powerful leader, some would even say totalitarian leader. I won't dispute that um, evaluation. Um, not surprising with somebody with Pluto at the midheaven. Pluto, by the way, discovery of Pluto took place within weeks, or at least months, of Hitler's first coming to power in Germany. Pluto has a long history of uh, connection with totalitarian stuff, particularly in connection with Mars, and notice that uh, Putin has a solar arc from Saturn to his Mars, and from Pluto to his ascendant, which is partly ruled by Mars, it's also partly ruled by uh, Pluto. His ascendant is in Scorpio, uh, and uh, Mars and Pluto co-rule that ascendant. So, Joe Biden. So, and the larger situation, NATO keeps pushing at Russia. NATO broke faith with Russia, and the United, when we say NATO, we also mean the United States. You know, the United States is like the major player in um, the United Nations, in, uh, in NATO. Uh, and as I said, Russia getting invaded from the West as a pattern. Um, none of this absolves Russia or, or Vladimir Putin, but to understand something is not to condone it. So it's possible to understand why he acted as he did. And uh, it seems to me that Russia had far more reason for invading the Ukraine than the United States did for invading Iraq or uh, Afghanistan. So, uh, and probably for its actions regarding Iran, but certainly the first two. Now, as for Mr. Putin as well, he has stuff in the 12th. He has four planets in the 12th. One is Saturn. And if you look at his Sun-Saturn conjunction, that Sun-Saturn conjunction conjoins the United States-Saturn, sets off the United States' mm, tendency to play the authority in the world, and squares the United States' uh, Sun in Cancer. So, first, Sun, Saturn, Neptune, Mercury, all in the 12th house. Saturn, in particular, suggests uh, insecurity about boundaries. And therefore, perhaps, quite likely, a uh, determination to defend those boundaries, indicated, again, by solar arc Saturn conjoining his, uh, his Mars uh, over the last several months. It's actually separating a little bit now, but uh, it's still within orb. So, solar arc Saturn on his Mars. Um, organized aggression related to boundaries. Uh, but in terms of transits, uh, Saturn, in terms of, sorry, in terms of transits, yes, Saturn is approaching his nadir. And it's also approaching an opposition to his Pluto, 
which strongly suggests to me the projection of powerful opponents uh, in the world. Projection of Pluto. It also means he's, I think it means he's approaching the end of his reign. Uh, so on the one hand, he will act in a Plutonic manner, as he's doing, obviously. But as Saturn closes in on that aspect, uh, the opposition to Pluto and the conjunction to his nadir, it's not quite there yet, uh, but uh, I think you will see uh, threats to his power, and some of those threats will come from Plutonic others in powerful positions. And since Pluto has to do with ec economics, it may ha also have to do with these sanctions that we are seeing, even though some of the sanctions won't take effect for several months, it seems, but um, according to what I've been, been hearing. Um, so those aspects suggest all sorts of difficulties for uh, Mr. Putin in, um, in the Ukraine. Uh, Mars is also moving towards his nadir. Uh, Mars right now is an early Aquarius, and um, Saturn's at 19 of Aquarius. But Mars moves a lot more quickly than Saturn, so Mars will hit the nadir and oppose Pluto in some weeks. Uh, right now, Saturn is trining his Libra planets, at least a couple of them, or it's moving into a trine. That, that's what will happen first. And, uh, and also trining his moon, which is in uh, Gemini. So, so far, he seems to have succeeded. Like, the, the astrology certainly suggests that that won't last. Uh, that there are real difficulties in the future for him. Uh, some other things that are worth noting is that uh, um, the um, what I've talked about before with the Mars-Neptune square in the United States chart, um, uh, considering the number of... Uh, the deception involved is that some people seem to really believe that the United States can play the virtuous card here and tell Russia not to invade other countries, despite uh, some people have called us the United States of amnesia. Uh, I think that might come from uh, Gore Vidal. I can't quite remember. Um, but anyway, um, also in Putin's chart, uh, he's got a yud to uh, transiting Neptune. What I mean here is that transiting Neptune, which right now is at 22 degrees of Pisces, is precisely quincunx his Pluto, and precisely quincunx his Mercury, or very closely quincunx his Mercury-Neptune conjunction. And uh, that suggests that he's deceiving himself in some way, and that he's going to be forced to see it. Um, he's acting, it seems to me, on delusions. Putin is. Um, the Yud to transit in Pluto often indicates a major shift in the person's life direction. Um, and this life direction will involve his public presentation, on the one hand, and his way of thinking about things. Um, so, um, things don't look good for him. So, in sum, I would say, the astrology material demonstrates 
that the delusions related to important leaders, Joe Biden's constant insistence on uh, appearing virile and um, assertive, which he's been doing throughout, you know, for for weeks and months in relationship to Putin, without being willing to just say, you know, if you'd said to him like months ago, okay, we understand. Uh, Russia's been invaded from the West. Country's been decimated before. We can see why you're concerned. Let's how let's see how we can uh, make a deal that would work for everybody. But Biden certainly hasn't done that. Um, and Putin's insistence on acting powerfully, and uh, powerfully and on delusions, uh, on a whole set of delusions, is going to lead to his all sorts of problems uh, with him, and may bring about, as I say, the end of his career. So, therefore, to go all the way back to the quotation, that if he had different people in power, admittedly the situation has deep roots. You know, the, the situation goes way back with you. you the Ukraine and Russia. Um, so it's not like the situation has an easy resolution. However, as the quotation from Mr. Barnes suggests, it's quite possible that if we had different leaders in there, somebody other than Joe Biden, somebody other than Vladimir Putin, uh, that we would be able to find a solution to this, uh, some sort of mutual understanding um, could come about. And thus, leaders and tragedy or leaders and disasters um, that it, leaders sort of serve as catalysts for better or worse often in international situations so that should do it for now um, oh wait I have one more note uh, oh yeah yeah uh, a final remark uh, about um, Mr. Barnes, who started World War One. What's interesting in that book, and, and that has a relationship, I think, to what's going on now. Barnes does a pretty good job of arguing that although most people seem to think that Germany, Germany was the main culprit in the beginning, in the starting of World War One, and Barnes doesn't accept that at all. Uh, just as he doesn't accept in World War Two that he doesn't want to lay the blame entirely on Japan for getting the United States into the war. He's got all sorts of evidence about that, about Japan's offering of peace treaties and so forth, which Germany apparently did too before World War One. It's not that Barnes wants to absolve Germany, but he lays the main blame, as that quotation suggests, on France and its alliance with Russia. Uh, in some ways, forcing Germany's hand. It's a very interesting little book, interesting argument. Uh, if you're interested in this stuff, I recommend it. Um, and one final little uh, uh, remark about it. Uh, the particular volume that I'm looking at, who started World War I, uh, some people have claimed that Barnes was anti-Semitic and is a Holocaust denier. I have not found evidence for that yet. Uh, and it does seem, if you read the introduction to this book, that he has gotten championed, you might say, I think after his death, by 
I don't know what you would call it. Like the the preface of this book is by by a guy named W. A. Carto, and he talks in this uh, uh, strange preface uh, about how, for example, World War One was dysgenic in the extreme for whites. And he's got a few other remarks in here about how many white people were killed and so forth. I haven't found any evidence in Barnes himself um, about this, but he seems to have a reputation um, that's, or at least he's been gotten himself championed, you might say, by people of, you know, I'm not sure if this guy who wrote the preface is a white supremacist, but um, I, I feel unconvinced that Barnes qualifies as one of those. I certainly haven't found it in the stuff I've read. Um, however, the stuff I've read, at least this book, is I would categorize it as early Barnes. However, the um, uh, Perpetual War for Perpetual Peace came much later, and I don't see evidence of it there either. So um, I had to leave that as an unanswered question for now. Uh, if anybody has anything to say about that, I'd be interested to hear it. Um, anyway, that should do for now. Uh, the effective leaders and leaders' neuroses, you might say, on international affairs and on death. <laughs>